Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. John Taher has had a unique career starting in the vending industry, filling vending machines at Taher Inc. to become a respected leader, leading his team on the newest initiative, Healthy is the New Cool, with his simple leadership style based on honesty, straightforward communication, coaching leaders to achieve their maximum potential, and giving back to the community family he serves. Sean has led teams to earn Taher Inc.'s largest single vending client, successfully turning around multiple struggling divisions and most recently, with the help of his team, developed and manufactured a line of fresh food for a 500-plus store chain of convenience stores. Starting in 2005 as the founding treasurer and eventual chairman of the board for the Jack Brewer Foundation, Sean is an active member of Hospitality Minnesota's foundation board. In 2012, working together with his brother Trent, creating a Thanksgiving initiative that has delivered over 85,000 meals to families in need. Most recently, again in partnership with his brother, Sean has launched the Real Food Initiative and Real Food Lab, where they plan to continue the journey of educating and engaging kids on where food comes from and how to cook using real foods to combat childhood hunger. Sean was recently a keynote speaker at the United Nations, sharing Tyra's views and initiatives involving diplomacy through food. Tyra is the sole food service partner with the Montessori Model UN. Um, Sean, you've got a really cool background. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. I love Minnesota. Strangely, I've been there a couple of times speaking. Um, I spoke at, is it the Minnesota Club or the Minneapolis? The Minneapolis Club? Yeah. I spoke there twice um, for two completely different groups. And then I also spoke at some like art gallery. Okay. The, yeah. The Walker, I assume the Walker. Yeah. Great. And great people. Good city. Beautiful. I appreciate it. We're glad you've been here. Are you from there? From there I region? am. I grew up here in uh, just outside of downtown and spent about 11 years in downtown before getting married and being talked, get just a little bit of outside of downtown. All right. Nice. Okay. So I want you to, to give us a little bit of a background um, on what tire is just so we have some, some perspective on what tire is. And then I want to switch directions really quickly and, um, and get into some stuff on the COO roof with you. Yeah. So Taher is a contract food service management company. So we partner with schools, colleges, corporate buildings, uh, assisted living facilities, and we bring in the full food service operation from menu design to writing the recipes to, you know, buying the food to, you know, making the food. So we often share with people we're good looking lunch ladies. Okay. So you so vending machines is just part of what you do then. Yeah. So vending machines, exactly right. It becomes a support function. Most of these locations have vending. Uh, and we ended up acquiring a company about 15 years ago that had vending. Okay. And so then we were in vending. Awesome. All right. So you're doing the, you're doing the full meals and then you're doing the vending machines. When I was, um, when I was 14 years old, I had my first job working at our golf club and they had a vending machine in the back room where I used to have to wash golf clubs. Yeah. And I was, I was this scrawny, skinny little kid and I could get my arm in the bottom drawer and put it up about, I could get it up three layers and all you had to do is spin the, the dial. Right. I could get whatever chocolate bar I wanted. And so people would say, I'd like a, you know, a Hershey's or I'd like a Mars bar. And I, I could literally know where it was from t- taking so many. And at one point 
we had an entire old golf bag with all the pockets shoved with golf with with chocolate bars and the, the pro at the club kind of kept scratching his head couldn't figure out why he was losing money on the vending yeah bag. and how come we were eating free chocolate so that was my early exposure into the vending machine world well i can assure you they've gotten uh increasingly crafty yeah <laughs> how to get into the machines now yeah, I could just see me putting my hand up and then coming out with like paint all over it or something. <laughs> all right. So um, so when we were just offline before we started, we talked just briefly about the COO and you said that it's kind of a, a confusing, very different role. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Let's start there and then we'll dive into kind of some of your experiences. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I took this, this role, uh, I did a ton of research as to just what is a COO? What am I supposed to do? Uh, and every article I've ever, I ended up reading or anybody I ever talked to all sort of had a different answer. And the net of it is, is, well, what does your CEO need? Uh, what is he or she strong at, he or she not strong at? And, you know, what becomes a little bit uh, gray in our case is it's also a family business. So you have this sort of all, you have this dynamic of heir apparent also at play. Uh, yeah. So every single thing we do, or at least certainly that I do, is being watched in terms of, okay, is he also going to be a good future leader uh, sure. in case something happens to Bruce, to my dad? Okay. So, you know, that added, that certainly adds to it. So it becomes confusing and uh, it, it just takes a lot of time to figure out really what the right role is. A lot of, I mean, a lot of questions with my boss to figure out, so what is it you really want this to look like? And where do you really want help? And uh, as you probably know, with entrepreneurs, some of them have answers and some of them don't. Yeah. So you become a phenomenal listener as uh, to so just beyond just the words and the body language to try and, you know, essentially make a damn good guess. Uh, so yeah, it become, I don't know. I thought it was that my first six months in this role was very interesting. Confusing. Yeah, and, uh, and the entrepreneurs change their answers as they go because many of them think out loud. So they, they kind of keep thinking and they meander through until they end up at an answer and they almost forget all of their prior meandering. Yeah. <laughs> right? it's, like, it's almost as if those were private thoughts, even though they came out of their mouth. Um, all right, so, so the family business component is really interesting as well. So, um, and I, I grew up in a family business, so there's a lot of these. Uh, there's a whole bunch of questions I want to dive into around that. So, yeah. your, did, your, did your dad start the business? My dad did. Yep. Okay. And yeah, so, my involved. dad started our business uh, uh, a month after I was born. Quit his okay. job and started it a month after I was born. Okay. So, he's been doing it your whole life. You've grown up around the business. So, there's a little bit of that dining room talk and kitchen table talk that you learned from osmosis. You got, did you get dragged into the business or did you start summer jobs there? No, uh, we used to own an oriental rug company as well. And right. so I started selling oriental rugs when I was, you know, young, young, you know, working for a quarter tips just to haul a rug out to someone's car and, you know, like a real fool, then taking that quarter to the railroad track and watching the train run over it. Uh, so I started there and when I was graduating undergrad, I had looked at a couple of other opportunities and, and he says, well, why don't you just come here instead of letting some other asshole, you know, kick you around for a while. And so I did. Uh, and I think as I shared in my bio, I started filling vending machines in, 
you know, the day after I finished undergrad and uh, kind of worked my way through from there. Okay. So, so, so this has really been your only career then? 100%. Okay. So you got to learn from osmosis. And by the way, I think I need to put back on my list to go and, and do that railroad track with the coin again. I haven't done that since I was a teenager. Is yeah. It, is it bad that I want to take my two, my two boys out and do it with them? Or should I just kind of give them the idea? No, I think you should go with. <laughs> go with them, right? Yeah. 100%. My dad must have taught me. I like doing it with pennies because pennies somehow, the, I think the copper was softer and it came out really nice. And yeah. Shiny. Um, all right. So you, you got involved as a teenager. You started off as a teenager. There were probably some skills that you learned as a teen in the business and right in from college in, in the business that you carry with you today. What were some of the earliest maybe skills, leadership skills or ideas that you carry with you today? I would say it's really not uh, being very shy. That's been a huge part. Uh, you know, and some of my notes that I had taken earlier is you end up with a lot of guts. You, you don't fear the rejection nearly as much when, you know, you've been getting kicked around or rejected on someone wanting to buy Oriental rug, you know, so that was, that was wildly helpful mm. in helping me get to where I am today. Uh, are you, are you naturally shy or naturally more introverted? No, no. But I think that, uh, I wasn't ever even given a chance at being introverted. Okay. You know, right. cause we were just, well, we were always around either work people or at, at the rug warehouse or we we're just always around. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I ever really had a chance at trying to be shy. So you just, it just kind of came out as a new natural trait for you then. Yeah. And then, you know, selling rugs in the, in the 90s was difficult because we're selling handmade rugs. These are, you know, five, six, eight, call $10,000. And the birth of machine-made rugs was going crazy. So you're always asking for the sale on something that's 10 times more expensive than something they could get at a department store. Sure. Yeah, totally makes sense. Funny, I was telling a friend about a carpet I picked up in Jaipur in India back in 97 and he was asking me what the carpet would be worth today. And I'm like, I have no idea, but it was, I spent days looking at carpets and picking them, you know, the one that had the most detail and the most yeah. colors, 225 knots per square inch. And um, so you learned a lot about rejection. Now, again, you weren't reporting directly to your dad back then. You were kind of in one of the businesses and around him, but you saw him operating as a CEO. What did you learn from watching? Well, I would say I probably learned more uh, after joining full-time in that respect because really at the time, it was still just dad. It, it, it didn't okay. quite, uh, in all <laughs> sincerity, until I had gotten out of college, I didn't really realize how large he had built this company. Mm. And so when I was growing up, it was really just dad. And then coming here, Watching just the way he kind of carries himself, the tone of his voice, uh, posture. I mean, this sounds so silly. Maybe it does, but like pocket squares and lapel pins and how to button and just all these little things. Because uh, when you meet Bruce and, and you see the network that he has, one of the things he, you hear all the time from people is he's just one of the nicest people ever, super approachable. And, you know, people feel very comfortable with them. And so those become these little behaviors that I really watched. Uh, 
and in all sincerity, really struggled with young at, at, in my 20s and early 30s. Well, yeah, yeah, you were modeling a fairly charismatic leader, it sounds like, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So, you, you joined the company. Um, what do you think your skills are then that you've pulled through all those years that you're carrying with you today? If you kind of had to nail out the top three traits that are making you into that good COO? Yeah. Planning an organization, top. Okay. You know, large, large projects. You know, you'd, you'd mentioned in my bio earning the lar- our largest vending account, you know, to implement that was enormous planning. And so that's been, I think, the best thing that I've been able to carry through uh, into, into this role. Um, so how, how, yeah, how do you plan? Calendars. A right. lot of, like, literally calendars. Uh, blank outlook calendars with goal dates, deadlines, and then breaking them down as to how we're actually going to take a large project into 10 small and breaking that out so that, and then tons and my team would tell you quite annoyingly probably, but tons of devil advocate questions. What if this, what if that, why do you really think that? And oftentimes people think that I'm just being uh, controversial and it's really just trying to get ahead of what might happen uh, because it's just easier. I have found at least if we do that exercise, we're going to have a higher chance of not having to worry about something when it comes up than, than if we don't. And I cannot stand firefighting. Do you, do you think that's a trait that you picked up from being around an entrepreneur a lot and seeing a lot of the fires that entrepreneurs naturally create? Or do you think that's just, in your I think DNA? so. And I, and I, I think so, particularly in the way that you had just worded it, they entrepreneurial cultures create a lot of, go this way, not go that way. And, and that causes confusion and firefighting. And so I would say, yes. I mean, I think that we need structure. I mean, humans, they need structure. They don't need to be guided down a cattle call, but they need four walls. They need a path. Yeah. It makes and, us feel safe as well to have that. It's interesting. We, we, um, have you ever done any personality profiles on yourself? Do you do any of those? Like, yeah, we use profile XT. Okay. And have you noticed that your personality profile is different from your dad's? I haven't seen his, but I'd be curious to see it. Yeah, ask to see it. So we do one. So we have the, the COO Alliance. We created that the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. And we had all of our COO members create do a Colby A profile. And then we had all of their CEOs do the Colby A profile. And okay. the, only thing, the only thing you learn from Colby is how you start projects. And most of the entrepreneurs are a high quick start. They start. They start. They plan later. Yeah. Most of the, most of the COOs are either high fact finders, meaning they ask a lot of questions before they start something, or they put the systems in place, like a checklist or an SOP, before they start something. Yeah. You're a, you're a prototypical COO where you ask a lot of the questions. Once you've asked enough, then you start. Does that ever drive your dad crazy when you're asking questions? Or have you guys had to learn that? Um. Yes, it, I would say it does at the same time. I think that he knows why he's learned uh, to respect it. He's learned to respect that now. Yeah. What, what, one of the things that's been really successful, at least for me in this role in the last <laughs> eight months is, you know, just as you would as expect and as described, he laid out sort of a rough vision of what he expected us to do. And that just kind of didn't go anywhere. So a few months later, again, just if nothing else 
frustrated with the fact that we've got to move the needle, uh, I just took the time, you know, I spent a lot of time in hotels. So, uh, you know, pulling a few super late nights, if not all nighters to just guide all of that tied into one vision, one action plan, one sort of things, and then paint the picture as to what life looks like in 12 months. And then I was able to deliver that to him, uh, yeah. over breakfast at the Minneapolis club. Okay. And, uh, and he was all in and right. I'm like, holy, holy crap. Like really? That's, that's when it happens is when vision meets execution and, and they can actually have a conversation and it's because vision can sit long enough to look at what execution's plan is. And you've probably been able to do it in a succinct one pager, like right. an, execu an executive summary style plan. Cause if you give him the rest of all the information that you've got in your head about all the fact finding, oh. that'll, that'll overwhelm him. Cameron, it was nine. It was my original one was 19 pages that I'd put together while on the road. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. Bingo. See? So, so, so that's, that's where you identified something. I don't know if you, if you know, you've done it, but that's probably one of the core best traits of a great COO is the ability to ask the questions, come up with the plans, create the models, and then present it to the CEO in a way that the CEO can quickly get it right and can, and can trust that you've done the rest of the work so that they don't need to ask it. Um, and then, and then they say, yeah, go execute. So how do you sign off on Bruce? And do you call him Bruce at work? You must. I right? do. Yep. Yeah. Do you ever slip and call him dad or have you just naturally become Bruce? And I, I've very naturally become Bruce and yeah. I, I don't know that I'd call, slip and call him dad, but sometimes I do call him dad, but mostly intentionally. Yeah. My, yeah. Especially if I need to humanize something like, hey, dad, pump the brakes here. My bro so my brother bought my dad's company around 10 years ago, and my brother came in to help him start running it and then bought it, and my dad left. And my brother would call my dad John all the time. And then my brother said the same thing. If my dad was ever getting angry, he'd be like, hey, dad. Yeah. That would like that would soften him down. But it, what was weird was we'd be at the cottage having a beer at, you know, nine o'clock at night on a summer night. And my brother would call my dad, John. And we're like, what? Yeah. It was weird. Um, yeah. All right. I so, can appreciate that actually. So you guys have got a pretty special relationship as father and son, but there's also mm -hmm. a lot of stress there that happens in the normal CEO, CEO. How do you navigate it? First and foremost, how do you navigate it as CEO, COO? Mm -hmm. and then how, how do you navigate that family dynamic side? Any lessons on that? Uh, I, I will start with the first one because it always seems like an easier one to answer first. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to, the dynamic between CEO and COO is to always remember that it is work. And you still have to execute. Because regardless of heir apparent, regardless of my name, regardless of any of that for a minute, if I don't execute as a COO, as, an, as a leader, I'm dead on arrival. Yeah. So I have to stay laser focused on sticking to our plan, thinking through our plans. I have to stay on that path. And that helps the dynamic a lot. And a lot of communicating up. And um, I mean, I say a lot. Some would probably call it not that much, but it's certainly a lot compared to what I may have ever in the past, you know, as a younger leader, I was pretty cavalier and said, screw you all. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. And I've quickly found that he, to really to your comment a little bit ago, they really like to be in the know. They like to know that you're listening to what they're trying to accomplish and, and building that trust so that you can mm -hmm. sort of later not have to go for everything. Um, so that's helped you, on the, huh? How do you communicate up? 
a variety of ways. But so the most common way, I would say there's two most common ways. One is if I want to talk about a set of things, I'll send them an email that says, here's what is on my list. And here's sort of what, what, here's a little bit of detail about that so that he's not blindsided. One thing with, with Bruce is no blindsiding. I would say one thing with all Tahers is no blindsiding, but certainly with Bruce, you know, yeah. <clears throat> my dad immigrated from the, from the Middle East and started this with nothing. So he really doesn't want to be blindsided. He's found tremendous success in being able to control it all. And now as he's looking to trust others, you cannot blindside him. You'll go too far backwards. So I find giving him a heads up and some specifics about that. And then always, always leaving room for their opinion, right? And go as far as frankly to ask for it. Here's where my head's at. I'm curious really what you think. What am I missing? What am I not seeing? Here's why I think what I think, but you know, let's beat this round. Because at least I find he loves being able to have input. Now your dad is, I guess, what would he be, 60? 75. 75. Wow. Okay. So he's classic baby boomer uh, and uh, beginning of the baby boom. So, so is he still kind of, it's my way or the highway? Or uh, is he, has no, he but, but that's a new behavior. So he's learned, he's had to learn about them. Where, yeah. I would say, I, I shared this with somebody maybe last week or the week before. I think that we're as a family, Although we're not, we haven't engaged like a consultant or somebody to that effect, but we're all very mindful of transition and communication. So individually, I think between my brother, my dad, and myself, we're all trying to make sure that we're uh, treating each other the way that we need to so that we don't have these colossal arguments because that's the, that's the blend. The blend is where, when does work stop and family begin? And there's definitely not a clear answer to that question. Yeah, there's not. And you've got to, you've got to really work hard on those boundaries. You um, do. I had a, uh, well, I didn't. My wife had a, a daughter a, a year ago. My daughter will be one on Saturday. And that, that's been one of the most interesting and impactful things to the family versus work dynamic. Mm. Because we, for us as a family, we do brunch on Sundays a lot. And now with Sophie there, it's really just my dad being a grandfather and a dad and he's loving it mm. rather than it being a mix of, you know, a mini staff meeting before the staff meeting. Interesting. All right. So you still got that blend out, which is good too. I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I've spent a lot of time in Vancouver, Canada. We've got a, a pretty big Middle Eastern. Are you guys Persian, Iranian? Yeah. Iranian. Cool. Yeah, my dad was born and know. raised in Iran. Do you speak Farsi? Very, after a couple of good drinks, I get better. <laughs> good for you. Um, it's cool to have that culture still. It's good. So, so that's a, it's a very kind of male-dominated culture over there as well. That's, he's, but he's been over here forever. So yeah. has he gotten rid of the dress code of the whole kind of 1980s dress for success? Does he, has he, has he, has <laughs> so he, it's sort of interesting because I was thinking about this yesterday. So in March... I, I had dinner with my dad before he went back to Iran. You know, it's obviously, you can imagine, something we try and do. Anytime we travel overseas, you just never know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I said, you know, prior to you going, sort of what are a couple coaching things you would, you would give me? And I'm not joking. One of his was, you know, you could wear a sport coat. You could wear a suit a little more often. 
I'm like, awesome. really, of all the options on the table, that's the one. So I went and had a few suits made, and now, I, you know, now I wear a jacket. <laughs> I think it's fine wearing a sports coat, but, like, he doesn't wear a tie anymore, does he? No. Okay, good. So that's fine. Like, that, he's at least modernized enough. When you think that IBM banned the tie in 1989. Yeah. Um, but it's been hard for a lot of those early baby boomers to let for that sure. go. I would tell you a lot of our mid-management and, and senior management team who are right in that same baby boomer mix, they, I, I can't imagine them without a tie. And then, you know, we still work in schools and, and school administrators still wear suits and ties a lot. It's so weird. I had to spend some time at the board, uh, school board earlier this year and, and they were all wearing the shirts and ties. I'm like, God, I just feel bad for you because they suck. I agree. Um, yeah. Hey, when you were doing your digging around understanding the role of the COO, did you come yeah. across the, the Harvard article, the misunderstood role of the uh -huh. COO? hundred percent. It's good, right? It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think it's one of the better ones out there. So you, cause you are kind of then that era parent, which was one of the bingo. Yeah. So that's a hard role to navigate when you have other senior managers who are, who have been there for longer um, who, who, who want to move up in the company too, right? Cause it's their career. How do you, how do you navigate that? Well, different I from the normal. Don't know that I struggle with that one as much because the, the growth of the organization is to have growth for all of them. And really one of the projects that I'm doing this week right now is to re, uh, structure and reorganize our operating reporting and people that have been sort of titled as a VP, but haven't necessarily been able to operate as such, we're moving that so they can really fit within into that role or, or sort of skill set that they're really great at. And whether it was, be, who knows as to really why we hadn't done it in the past, uh, but it does help me get a win, frankly. That's interesting. That's huge. No, and you, I think what you're showing is that, that it, it's, you are actually going to grow the organization, but you're also going to try to keep growing all the people as well and, and show them. And it's also showing them their path too, I guess, right? It's hugely showing them their path. You know, one of the things that we were able to do this year, every year we have a summer conference. So we brought 380 chefs and food service directors to town for five days. And our whole That's theme that. for the year Sounds is like Nirvana. Oh, it's wild. I mean, <laughs> it it's amazing. wild. You know, we have our own farm as well. So all the chefs spend two days out at the farm and they end up making food for all of their food service director peers. It's, I mean, it's, that's, it's that's like, like a family the, gathering. Like the best potluck ever. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much awesome. actually. Uh, but our theme was reignite the human side and invest in each other. And the whole premise was we got to stop, um, you know, treating each other like, Kings, you know, whatever, uh, kings and pawns, right? We've got to really invest the time with the people. And to your words, we have to give them the path. We have to take the time and say, Cameron, you're doing a great job. I want to tell you, these are three paths that I really see possible for you. Do you like any of those? Oh, I do. Great. Then let's invest in that path. And well, you touched on something else, I think, which is, is so strong. Like when your father goes back to Iran, you go for dinner because you always know what can kind of happen when you're yeah. traveling. So oh, you're, yeah. investing, you're investing in that human relationship. Do you, you do that? Do you do that with your team where you really know them as humans when you know the leaders as humans and people? I do. 
I mean, yeah. of the 380 people that were here, I could tell you 350 of their names. I could tell you but, just when they're there. But it's more than that. Like, I, I have a feeling like because it's probably the Midwest values, you probably know them as people more than their right. names. Like you, yeah. You know, you know their insecurities, their fears, their passions, their joys. You know what they're into. Like you yeah, know, I would say. You know, is your dad we don't use this tool, but we, we refer to it with some regularity. But, you know, Harvey McKay had that McKay 66 that he rolled, I don't know, 50 years, whenever the hell it came out. But we at least refer to it just uh, as a talking point, if nothing else, to what you're, what you're sharing. Or would, do you really know anything about them? You know, could you answer any of those questions if I handed you that document? Uh, because it is important. Have you met Harvey? I have. I know him, you know, decently well. He's a good dude, man. He is. He's a very good dude. He, we, uh, I grew up about 10 minutes from where he lives in the same school district. So, oh, no, uh, and then a, one of his business partners, son and I graduated high school together. Oh, no kidding. Very cool. Yeah. yeah he, I was invited to speak at Harvey's round table last year. Oh, and, that's cool. um, yeah, he's got about 30 CEOs that run some really cool companies, some, some pretty big names and they pay, I think they pay a quarter of a million dollars or 150,000. It's a lot. It's like, I might be I'm off sure. by a hundred, I might be off by a hundred, but it's like, it's either 150 or 250,000 for two years. And, um, and they, they round table, they sit and they brainstorm and they meet and they talk through issues. And, um, it's, it's a mastermind, but at, at a very high level, but I was invited to go speak at it and then spend the two days with him and, and at dinner. And then in the morning, um, a friend of mine, Connor Blakely, this young kid who's like 18, I've been mentoring since he was 15 has become really good friends with Harvey. And, and he got me to, to go for breakfast with Harvey in the morning. So it was Harvey and myself and Connor. And then this other young 18 year old and Harvey just gave us a two hour download. of his huh. it Wow. Was, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Those guys, you know, uh, you know just, Earl Bakken, I trust. No. Founder of Medtronic. Okay. So his son is one of my dad's close friends. And so he did, I was a part of like one of these emerging leader programs and he did a one hour lunch with 12 of us young leaders. Uh, and it becomes similar to what you're, it becomes one of those one hour times where you're just like, holy crap, like that was those the best the hour I'm going to have all year. Yeah. And, and yeah, it is. It's amazing. So I was going to ask about that earlier. Your role as the COO, where where have you continued to gain skills outside the company? Forget about the learning that you learn inside, but where have you grown yeah. yourself? Well, so I tr I trained for half Ironmans, and it is phenomenal to me how much I learn in that process. Hmm. Because when you race, you can't have music, so you just as well train without it. And so there's this huge game that goes on in your head all the time. You're telling yourself to breathe, breathe, get to the next one, close your eyes. I mean, it's, it's nonstop. And that honestly has been so enormous for me. Uh, my natural personality isn't to breathe, right? <laughs> it's, it's to, you know, pounce sometimes, frankly. Yeah. yeah. So that has been enormous. Um, and then trying to like, there isn't a huge network of COOs out there and those that are out there are slammed. So, uh, you know, just trying to talk to a couple of friends here, there, 
and get some, but I read a lot. You know, okay. I read John Cotter a lot. Uh, I mean, probably more than I read any Aubrey Daniels. I read a decent amount. Uh, so I okay. read a fair amount. Uh, that helps just with the mindset. If nothing else, I'm probably similar to a lot of people where I read and then I, but I, I read in a book because I write in the book nonstop. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I don't, all of, I've written five books that are all on Amazon and Audible and iTunes, but I don't understand why someone would only listen to the book or, and I certainly don't understand why they would ever read it on Kindle. Um, I agree. I like, I like the hard copy of the book and often I'll listen to it at the same time. So then I can get through it faster and I can, it yeah. helps my ADD, but I'm scribbling notes in it and then I'll press pause and I'll write my I kind of scribble notes and highlight. And then at the back of the book is I make my list of almost action items yeah. from the book. Yeah. And then I try, then I try to put the stuff in place. I think so often people just read books, but they don't do anything with it. I, I agree. And I mean, I, I would love the, I love the theory of reading on my iPad, but I hate that I, that with all the technology that they have that I can't write in the ledger. It just makes yeah. no sense to me. Yeah. It's kind of gone. It, it disappears. I think Kindles are great for reading for fun. Like yeah. Novels, right. But, but not, not business books. Um, all right. So your leadership team and your dad, how do you stay on the same? Does your dad control vision now? Or are you, are you largely starting to control some of that too? Um, we are at the beginning of a transition. I would say um, my, the trick I have is to make sure I don't get out in front of my skis and start trying to take it all to my vision. I still that have to, that is the strangest analogy for a guy from the Midwest in Minnesota to use a skiing analogy. Is there why a, we grew up skiing every weekend? Did you, where'd you go? Oh, you know, like troll hog and Welch village, you know, <laughs> we have these deals. It's perfect for parents. They drop their kids off at seven in the morning on Saturday and they go off and the parents are like, see ya. And what is it like? Just a little, yeah. Like a, like a T-ball. Like yeah. yeah. That's, I grew up in Northern Ontario on, on these little, we didn't even have chairlifts. We had T-bars. Oh yeah. yeah, it was yeah. awesome. It was awesome. All right, yeah. so you don't, you're not getting ahead of your skis. Sorry, I, I kind of had to laugh. No, so I mean, it's that's that's the balance is trying to make sure that uh, I still am focused on the things that I know he wants to make sure that that we accomplish. You know, for me, what I've done to try and have some latitude is we have other businesses in either in food manufacturing, so from baking to fresh food to microwavable meals and that allows me a lot of latitude to try and control some of my own vision uh, uh, sure because the value is is that it plays into you know our own business we sell to ourselves and we innovate we use all of our chefs to innovate so that helps uh, but i'm able to go sell to outside companies and that is uh, different than our our normal business, so I get a lot of runway. Now I know you guys are you guys are a privately held company, but um, you're in the the nine figures. You're you're well over the hundred yeah. million mark yeah. in revenue, and you've got you know employees all over the place. How many states are you operating in? We're in uh, twenty two states with okay. thirty two hundred employees. Okay, so there's some perspective, right? Twenty two states, thirty two hundred employees, well over hundred million in revenue. Yeah lots of different business lines that are very different. Um, how do you not get sucked? How do you have a life? How do you not get sucked into the day to day of all this stuff? How do you, 
how do you manage your time and um unsuccessfully probably is the best answer uh i do have a very tolerant wife i mean having a child obviously has been a huge part uh mm. because i want to go home i i mean i'm out early and and i'm home you know i'm probably home by seven six thirty seven and we now have it where sophie doesn't go to bed till eight so for all of the parents that listen to this, don't judge. We put our be- baby to bed late. It just is what it is. Awesome. Uh, but that way, at least I get to see her. And um, How old is she? She'll be one on Saturday. Yeah. So you're such a, yeah, the, the baby will be fine going to bed at eight o'clock. Like exactly. They're, they're going to sleep when they're tired. So I, uh, and I travel. I mean, I think that travel helps just because if I'm in a hotel, it, I can work as late as I want, frankly without feeling overly guilty. Uh, but, but that's probably the part that I struggle the most with is, you know, I, my wife is, I think, bearing the brunt of this whole adventure. But it uh, sounds like project planning then is, is a component to it, projects and calendars. Yeah. Are you good yeah. at delegating? Um, mildly, I would say. Uh, <clears throat> I'm really great when we know we have strength in the team. When we have a gap, like if we right now we're hiring three new positions and one of and then one position to fill my former VP role. Uh, so I need to be able to delegate to more of that. I don't not delegate out of desire. Okay. You know, I prefer to have people that we can trust and build on and grow. That's much more fun than me chasing it all. Uh, how do you, you, you talk about growing people. How are you growing people? Time, you know, just shoulder to shoulder time, honest conversation, reinforcement. This goes back to what I had shared with you about reading Aubrey Daniels, great book on bringing out the best in people. Uh, I read it all the time because I always need help in it, quite frankly. What's the name of Aubrey's book? Uh, Bringing out the best in people. Okay. You know, so between positive reinforcement and trying really to understand the, you know, punishment kind of piece without it being, you know, cause it's got to somehow still be productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's in that and then giving them some latitude to make some decisions, allowing them to make that mistake, not beating them up for making a mistake. Uh, and then trying to, again, use this sort of devil's advocate approach to ask a lot of questions after the fact. Sometimes yeah. I get accused of being a Monday morning quarterback and I say, that's fair. I mean, I do, I am asking you questions that we, we now know uh, didn't plan, pan out right, but we still got to figure out how would we have done them differently uh, because I still want you to plan for the next time and I want you to remember this. It doesn't mean yeah. it will happen exactly, but at least let's be conscious of it. That's when I, I helped build a company years ago called College Pro Painters. And I worked the- for College Pro Painters. You're kidding. No, what? I was a College Pro Painter franchisee, baby. Who, when was this? What year? Uh this when the hell, so I graduated high 99, 2000, summer of 2001, 2002. Okay. So Brian Honeyman would have been long gone probably because I think Brian ran the Midwest. Caleb Bruns ran the Midwest at the time. I don't know Caleb. Yeah. So I was college pro franchisee, 88, no, 86, 87, 88. Okay. And then, and then for four years I was a general manager and I also oh. hired I hired Kimball Musk, who was uh, Elon's brother. Yeah, right. And now he's got the restaurants. 
Yeah, so Kimball was a franchisee of mine in 93, as was his cousin, Peter Reeve, who was the COO at Solar City. They were both franchisees for me in Toronto. I hired them and trained them. Wow. And I'm, and I'm still friends. I, I was texting two days ago, Greg Clark, who started College Pro in 1971. Greg and I still text each other. Huh. And uh, I think a couple days ago, some random dude heard one of my podcast episodes and he said, I worked for College Pro as a painter in 1974. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is like, he goes in Thunder Bay. I'm like, yep, that was the city it started in. We learned College Pro has been obviously was huge. Epic. Huge, right? I mean, yeah. it was so big. I had, a, I, I had a very unproductive general manager. You know, mm -hmm. I have a pretty strong personality. And I just don't think this guy had a clue what to do with it. Right. And so if. You know, on Sundays, we'd have that planning session on Sundays and I would, you know, this guy, I would, he would let me bulldoze all over him. And so as a result, I had no planning skills. I uh, did awful at College Pro, okay. awful, because there was this huge disconnect in my head between, you know, being the guy who was the owner and franchisee and getting my, you know, getting on the ladder with these guys. Okay. And I never really had structure right back to really some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning i never really had anybody bring the structure and the discipline forward to help me really fix that and then it went oh it's too it bad. so bad oh. and i mean fortunately not i mean it's taken a decade and a half for me to figure out how to really learn from that but you know you got it yeah I was, well, I really wish it had gone better, but it still was so valuable. So yeah. valuable. I'm glad it was valuable. I just, I'm sorry. It didn't. Yeah. I was, <clears throat> I was making a ton of money as a franchisee. My brother right. and sister both, both were franchisees after me. We, uh, my sister is a general manager as well. I, I still to this day, well, that's how I built 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I, I took all of my college pro painter skills and then I was the CEO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Right. Put it in place there. It was just simple. Yeah, yeah, putting up the signs, flyering, cold calling. Well, I mean, well, and hiring people, and training people, and running operations, and production, and time management, and customer, and and sales, and marketing, and having to wake up in the morning and recruit people, even though you didn't have a revenue to pay them yet. I like, know. yeah, it was, it was and getting that payroll out twelve fifty. I'll never forget that twelve fifty <laughs> overnight fee for my ever go. in my whole life. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's funny because you actually fit the prototypical franchisee as well. You've got the strong character and very. Um, so we hired franchisees who are strong in leadership, yep. strong, strong in attainment, which is goal orientation, and strong in tenacity, which would be completely you, right? Those would be yeah. three very big strengths. And then we also wanted people that were introspective, people that would look at their own contribution to problems. So you would rank very high in the interviews for, for a franchisee. Yeah. Probably why you're running Ironman triathlons and, and half triathlons or half Ironman yeah. is uh, those three traits, right? Good for you. Probably. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, I have a high regard for college pro and you know, for anybody who is even thinking about it, you should at least go interview it. You to your <laughs> comment, you can make a crap load of money if you do it right. Yeah. I made in 1986, I made 20, $22,000 in profit in my <laughs> in summer in, in four months. And I was and that was in 1986, like 22 grand today is a lot of money for a university kid to make. Right. Yeah. Uh, but in 86, I was going to great restaurants and, Anyway, I was unfortunately too dorky to be dating all the cute girls, even though I had the cash. Yeah. And I'm not very good looking either. So don't worry. You're in good company. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, have a, I have a voice for radio or a face for radio. <laughs> yeah. All right. Final parting tip. If you were to give us one or give yourself one tip, if you were to look back now, maybe to the 
the 20 year old college pro franchisee or the 21 year old starting out in leadership, what, what advice would you give yourself back then that you now know to be true? Listen, stop backing cavalier. Hmm. You know, my general manager at, at college pro wasn't the best guy ever, but he was trying to help. Hmm. And when I started at Taher, particularly for people like my own dad and a couple others here, they, they still know, you know, it's so hard when you're young and goal oriented and driven and you want to sort of conquer the world to realize that there's so much knowledge out there. So sometimes you just got to shut the fuck up and listen and ask a lot of questions. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's that old saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to use them in that ratio. I am so guilty of that too, where I, I'm always excited to jump in, but sometimes it's just interesting. Sean Taher, thank you very much for sharing. That was awesome. I'm glad we kind of uncovered that college pro at the end. That was pretty funny. Absolutely. Random. All right. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.